Dr. Oshinowo, best-selling author of uh, Bridge the Gap. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Send off. prophetic word or something. I don't know. It's a book I have not yet written. Um, well, let's please just pray um, before we start. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we bless you for gathering us here today. And I pray, God, Lord, that you would, um, Lord, the things that you have revealed to me, that you would help me to communicate them and that nothing would come out of myself, Lord, but that it would be your spirit and that it would be you, holy God. Lord, we love you. And we need you desperately, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, hi. Uh, I may need, maybe, if you guys in the back could scoot up a little bit. For my benefit, this is just purely me asking you because I kind of want to ask some questions today. And this light is really bright. And I can barely see people back there. So I want to talk a little bit today, by the grace of God, about covenant love and covenant relationships. We've been talking a lot about this together as a body over the past month, like a whole lot about it. Bob came and spoke to us, and it was a really amazing message, a really amazing word from the Lord. And if you haven't, I would definitely encourage you to get online and listen to it again. Because there's a lot in there um, that I think, I know me and my wife, we missed probably three quarters of what he was really talking about. <laughs> and listening to it again was very helpful. But um, one of the big things, the big themes that he spoke about, which we've talked a lot about, is of course the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and that God's ultimate purpose being that the kingdom be established here. And that is, among many things, the good news, that God's kingdom is, is here, that it happened, that in the work of Christ, he has brought his kingdom to bear. And there's things that are happening now because of that. That's good news. And he wants to, like Bob mentioned, establish that, establish that, that work here and in his church at large. And so one of those things that establishes that kingdom is covenant relationships, both with God and with other people. And, you know, got to thinking the other day. I know Bob did a lot, but in that message and in talking with each other, we use that word a whole lot. Covenant, 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 covenant. We say it all the time, and it means a whole lot. Does anybody know what that means? Like, what does that mean? This is a real question I'm asking you guys. What does covenant mean? And by asking, I mean, like, I'm hoping that people will respond. (laughs) Ben. Being loyal to somebody. Yeah. Being loyal to someone in a covenant relationship. I think that's true. I think there's there's definitely a lot to it, but like does anyone else have some what does covenant mean when you think about covenant? A lot of the time think about marriage covenants like sacrificial love, a pact. Really truthfully, covenant, just the definition of the word, that's what it means. It's a pact, it's an agreement. That's that's all it means in just that sense. But the covenant we're talking about is something greater. It's something larger than just an agreement between two people. Covenant love is sacrificial, it's loyal, it's devoted, I think that was the word Bob used frequently, devoted family love. Like a family relationship is a covenant relationship. You are devoted, loyal, and even sacrificial to your own family. That, is, that takes place in the context of relationships. I think it primarily takes place in the context of relationships. Covenant love in our church, hopefully, will take place in all the different relationships that there are. And 
and I hope, I pray to speak with authority on this, but I really want you guys to know that I don't really have this. This is something that I don't think I've grasped fully. But I want to. I desperately want this. When I think about even just my own household and we're expecting a baby in like two weeks or so. It's like desperate, desperately want this. I want this in my own family, my, my natural family and in my church family. And I don't quite feel that I have it yet. And in prayer over the past few days, I really do believe that God has shown me some things about it. And so I share them with you very humbly. And if, if, if I'm off base, please tell me. Please raise a hand or something. So really, there was four things that really stuck out to me. And, you know, I've been teaching with the kids a whole lot. And so most of the time now when I teach or I have an opportunity to teach, I teach like I do the kids. So please bear with me. I'm not going to, like have like a game or anything right now, but I'm going to teach like I do the kids. And so the best way that I've found to teach the kids is, you know, there's some things that aren't supposed to happen. Instead, this is what should happen. And that's kind of the, the, the method by which these things were coming to my mind as I was praying about this message. In covenant relationships, Real covenant relationships, which we need with each other. Real, sacrificial, loyal, devoted, family love relationships. There are some things that we probably shouldn't do, but instead we should do some other things. And so I've got four things, four things, if you'll bear with me, that I really believe covenant relationships are enabled by. First, Real covenant relationships are not gained or done well merely by striving, merely by trying, by um, an effort of our will. Like, I want to do this. Yes, I do want to do this. I want it desperately. But it's not going to happen because I make a plan and because I say, you know, I'm going to love Jose. And so here's my five-point plan in which I'm going to attack Jose and love him in the way that he needs to be loved. It, it's not going to happen that way. It's not going to happen because I, I even just heard it, because I read something or because I listened to a message. Probably the most important thing is surrender. Surrender to God is, I believe, the foundational step of real covenant love with other people. Because, of course, in the kingdom, which we've talked often about, God is the king, and he has created this culture, he's created a family, and that family is on mission to the world and in many different spheres. But it begins with that relationship with the king. It begins with that foundational relationship with the king. And anything we do that is of any real value will come from the work that he does in us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 um, says, I believe, um, it's God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. So God is the one who is working in us to create in us desires, to create in us a will and to create in us activity that is what he wants to see done. That's different. I'm not saying it it doesn't include desire on our part, but it has to begin out of surrender to God because we need him to craft in us a will and to teach us, show us actions that we have to take in order to love other people. I may think that loving my wife in one way is the best thing to do. But ultimately, if I haven't sought the Lord about something, I could just be gratifying myself. And really, whenever we talk about surrendering to God, whenever we talk about being in relationship with God, the basis of that is humility. There's no way around it. Like, we could, you know, pray really hard. We could be... Um, we could sing for hours, we could sit in a room in silence, we could do all these things. If we don't approach God with humility, we don't really approach God. There are 
numerous examples of this in the Old Testament. You know, when people came to God or when they did what God wanted, oftentimes the language will say, and then they humbled themselves and then did what the Lord wanted. Or um, I think in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 30, um, Hezekiah was the king and he wanted to do a Passover and he sent people out to the land to go and tell everybody, hey, we're doing a Passover. This is going to be, we're going to come back to the Lord. This is going to be great. And a lot of people were like, whatever. Uh, but then some of them, it says, but some of the men humbled themselves and God's hand moved in their wills. God's hand moved in making them want to all do the same thing because they humbled themselves. I believe it says God's hand was on them to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king wanted to do. That started because they humbled themselves first. And of course we know that relating to God first, surrendering to God first, is necessary for real covenant love relationships because Jesus did it. I think Bob mentioned in the garden, in the garden, Jesus, in full covenant relationship with God, told him, God, I don't want to do this. But if you want me for this not to happen, you're going to have to tell me not to do this because I'm completely devoted to you. I'm completely loyal to what you've said. And so he went along with it, even though... It was one of the it was the hardest thing ever. So it takes humility. It takes humility first and foremost to surrender to God. And then God genuinely will give us a will and instructions on what to do and how to love people. Now, with all these points, with all these, this is the first point. With all of them, I feel like I have to qualify some things because in my own mind, as I was writing these things, I was like, well, what about this? I have to qualify it. So bear with me. When I talk about humility, I'm not talking about that kind of like insincere, like smarmy, like, oh, well, you know, no, 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 you first, you first, that kind of thing. Which, you know, if we're honest, sometimes, you know, Christians, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to do that right. It's hard to receive sometimes. But really, humility is not insincere. It's genuine. It's not saying that your needs or the things that are real and present in your life are insignificant. It's saying that what the Lord wants is so much more and trusting him that he'll handle all of the other things. It's the same thing in how we relate to other people. You know, in my relationship with Chai, I can humble myself, but it doesn't mean that the things that are happening in in my life and with our baby and things coming, it doesn't mean they're not important, but it means, you know, what Chai needs is more important. So in that relationship, I'm exercising humility, and that's what we need. Also, lording over someone what you are doing for them in humility kind of defeats the purpose of humility. Like if I really was trying to like be humble and like, you know what, I'm being really humble in my relationship with Chai, so in front of everyone I want you to know this is what I did for her. Or even if it was just the two of us, and I was telling her and communicating with her and telling her, how hard it's been for me because of what I'm trying to do for her, because of how I've humbled myself for her, I am not being humble. I have defeated the purpose. And ultimately, one last thing, when we talk about surrendering to God so that we receive instruction, so that he changes our desires and our will, so that we can do what we want to do, those things will be natural, because it is God's molded desires at work. He has crafted what's, what you feel, what you desire to do. He's crafted those things, and so it will be natural. It won't be forced. And then, you know, that's kind of hard to say, yeah, it won't be forced. But really and truthfully, the people that God has for each of us to develop covenant relationships with, both within this room and without, those relationships will be on purpose and they will be natural because God is the one behind them. So if you are trying to do something or we feel like we need to do something for someone, but maybe they resist everything or maybe it's just you can't seem to connect with them, 
it doesn't mean that you need to try harder. It means we need to go back to surrender to the Lord and to pray and ask him to work in us, to will and to act according to his good purpose. So now that was point number one. Point number two, secondly, secondly, real covenant love relationships, devoted, loyal, sacrificial family relationships. This is related to the first point, but they are not one way. It is not a real relationship if one person is only giving and never receives anything. Now, I don't want that to sound like um, something tangible necessarily. In my relationship with Jeff, you know, I don't just always email him and contact him and, you know, help him and whatnot. Let's say he turned around and he wanted to help me somehow or he had something for me. I have to receive that. If it's a real relationship, I would receive it. I would receive it gladly. But if in that relationship I think, well, you know, Jeff, like, okay, okay, okay. I don't really pay attention to what he has to say or there's something that he's really trying to communicate to me about how I'm doing something or how You know, he's really feeling, and I'm like, well, no, 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 no. This is what God told me to do for you, so I'm going to do this. Real covenant love relationships aren't just one way. There is a reciprocity to it. It's reciprocal. Because if all it is is, you know, I've received this. These these are kind of progressive points, if you can't tell. I've received this from God. I've, I've surrendered to the Lord, and I've got this, like, these marching orders that I have to do. And so I've got to... Now this person is like my mission. I've got to love them because God has told me to love them. And so there's all these things I want to do and that God is showing me to do for them. Very good. But we have to, again, in the relational part of it, we ourselves have to be vulnerable. We have to be vulnerable in real, authentic relationships. That's what makes them genuine. There is a healthy, underscore healthy, dependency in real covenant relationships. I need Jeff. That's the truth. I'm not just saying this for example. I need him in my life and in our family's life. It's, it's important. There is a dependency there which is healthy. Now, if for some reason, Jeff and his family and Carol, they, like, we were separated or we couldn't, you know, communicate with them or we didn't have a relationship with them anymore, it would be tragic. It would be sad. But I would have to know that the Lord has some reasons behind it. Again, these are the things that he's doing because he has an ultimate purpose to build a kingdom that's going to do something in this city and the world at large. But I need him. There's a dependency there. There's no superiority when it comes to these relationships. Like, it's not just him giving to us because Jeff's the pastor, you know, and we're attending the church and, you know, we're not pastors, but, you know, so we, like, get all this stuff from him and he's always blessing us and pouring into us. It doesn't work like that. Because in the kingdom, to quote Bob Gladstone again, if I may, the more dependent you are, the more mature you are. It's flipped, like so many things in the kingdom. Where in the world, it's like, no, I'm independent. I have myself together. I don't need help. We're fine. In the kingdom, we need one another. We need each other in ways that are healthy. Again, I'm not talking about codependency, where there is... Um, some unhealthy maybe identity issues happening. I don't take my identity from anyone else. It's from the Lord, those kinds of things. Now, again, a couple of notes, a couple of things to note. Pride resists this. Vulnerability and dependency in open and honest relationships, pride will resist this always. Now, Again, another question for the group. 
Who here has everything together? They've got their whole life together. No? I figured maybe we get one person and we could like have a deliverance session or something. Stop right then and there. No. We don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. Even the things that I'm talking about right now, I'm, I'm, as I'm talking about I'm like, man, I don't have that quite right yet. But in a reciprocal, real, honest relationship that is in the kingdom, if I don't have it together, my relationships, my covenant, sacrificial, devoted family relationships with everyone here, those relationships will be probably the primary source of help that I will receive from God. Now, I could pray for certain, and I can ask God to come and do a mighty work in my life, to do something supernatural in my life. And I do believe God wants to do those things. But those things just might come from our relationships with the people we're sitting next to. Because that is the vehicle that he has chosen to move in this world. It's the vehicle he chose to establish his kingdom. That's what he chose. That's, if I could say, that's probably the best way for it to happen. Because God chose it. You know, a, f- a couple of weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, when Bob came and spoke, I was actually very distressed in the back of the room because I had a really difficult phone call right before coming into this room, like seconds before entering. I had like the hardest phone call ever. And you know, I was supposed to worship. I was supposed to be on the drum and everything, but I could barely keep my head straight. That night, um, Sarah and I, we went over to Jeff's house and you know, we're really encouraged by Jeff and by Bob. Now, I could have gone home that night and really prayed that God would do something in my heart and in my mind and in this relationship and that he would fix it and that he would come and move supernaturally and, and erase the thoughts that were going into my mind and really change things. Or what happened, I prayed to God for help and he sent two men whom I knew. And they talked with me and my wife and they prayed for us. And that was supernatural. Without question. Without question. So, but all the time, all the time we may not be like struggling or suffering. Even though we don't have it all together, there are times when things are good. And the Bible says when times are good, be happy. Ecclesiastes. Absolutely. If things are great, and maybe you don't come into the building, maybe you don't come to house church, and you're not struggling, or you don't feel like weeping, you don't feel like falling on the floor, you know, that's okay. But, but, if things are great, then it's possible, if not probable, that you have something to share. You have something to give. And other people need you. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I think that's chapter 4. No, it's not chapter 4. I can't read my own writing. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul was encouraged by these believers. Now, Paul is like the most spiritual person that ever lived. Maybe. And he was sincerely encouraged by the people he was writing letters to, to instruct. They needed his wisdom and they needed his counsel, but they had something that sincerely encouraged his faith and gave him reason to pray and to rejoice. Same here, so be it here. If things are going well with my brother and my sister, let's talk about it. Share it. You know, I'm the guy who will always go around, and it's almost a cliche now, and ask people if they have any good news. Sometimes I do it because it's, it's a nice way to start a conversation. But sometimes I do it because I really need it. Because I really need good news. Because things are hard. Because I don't have any. 
or at least the good news that is in my life, I don't see it readily. And so you guys can encourage me in that way. If we have good news, if things are going well, you have something for someone else. That is for sure. All you have to do is go back to step one and find out who it's for. Ask the Lord to show you. Now, a couple of notes, a couple of notes when it comes to, like, reciprocity and relationships. And we don't want things to be one way. We want to be able to receive and to give. Probably the, 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 the biggest, most giantest, my English is great, most giantest thing, if I could give one qualification to, I guess, maybe practical wisdom in relationships is understanding. There may be a way that seems right to me when I think about Tony and when I think about his life or what he's going through. Like, man, man, you should do this because I did this and it was great. Or someone is suffering from something and, you know, man, you should just you should just be encouraged. You should just and it's kind of we have this almost I don't know what you would call it, but this happened in my life and this worked for me. And so I want to share that. That's not bad. But we must first seek understanding. I think Proverbs says in several places that it's the fool that doesn't seek understanding and lets his opinions be known at once. We need understanding in relationships. We need to ask questions of people. We need real empathy. It might not be our place at a given time to solve their problem. We need to understand where they're coming from first. Another qualification um, when it comes to real, covenant, honest love relationships, if nobody really knows what's going on in your life, if you, you may come to church and you have words for people and you worship and you pray and um, you have prophecies, you have things that are from the Lord to share with people. But if nobody really knows what's going on deep down, they don't know the things that you struggle with, they don't know the things that you are dealing with, then I would submit to you that you don't have any real covenant relationships. Now, it doesn't mean that you walk in and like, hey, since you're sitting here, I'm going to reveal to you the deepest secrets of my heart. No, that's not how it works. There is a a level, just like it is with the Lord, there is a level of intimacy that does give people access to deeper things. There's things that I will share with my wife that I won't share with Jeff. But there's things that I'll share with Jeff that I won't share to a random person on the street. There's a level of intimacy there, and that's okay. That's healthy. That's natural. However, if nobody knows what's really going on, what I am dealing with, what is present in my life, in my spiritual walk, then I don't have any real covenant relationships. And I'm in danger. If you don't have them, it's not just like, hey, this is a good way to do church. If you don't have it, you're in real danger, real palpable danger, because it may just be that the deliverance that you need in your life, the things that you really need to break through or to overcome, they're going to come through someone else. Another person whom we may be resisting or not letting in. And just another quick sub-qualification to that. Married folks are not off the hook. Well, my wife knows what's going on in my life. I tell her, but I don't tell anyone else. I mean... Again, I'm not saying that the marriage relationship isn't the most intimate relationship that you will have. There will be some things that you won't probably share with other people just because of a level of intimacy that you have with your spouse. However, if there are real things that maybe need addressing or that need um, light, that need the counsel and wisdom of others, it may not help me if I only share with my wife, and she may not be the best person to acknowledge it. She may not know how. We may be dealing with the same thing, 
And so it's like the blind leading the blind. And in addition, most of the places that the Bible talks about marriage, it talks about it in the context of a body. And even when there are issues or things that that married couple talks about and deals with internally, at some point, if there is a need, they seek counsel from the body. Titus 2 talks frequently about how older women in the faith should teach younger women how to love their husbands. Now, that doesn't mean that they're like in there giving them like play-by-plays and they have like full access, but it means that there's an openness there. There is an openness there. And lastly, this last qualification, if vulnerability is difficult, if it's really difficult, then sin has been at work in your life. It may be at work or it may be something that has happened that hasn't been restored. And if that's the case, then by all means, we shouldn't leave here today without praying for you and without talking about it and addressing it with the people that you have intimate relationships with, real covenant relationships with. That's who it should happen with. It shouldn't just happen with any old person. Although, any old person is better than no one when it comes to addressing sin. We need to pray with others for healing. We need to pray for the grace to forgive. Because we don't want to be hindered. We don't want our relationships with the Lord and with other people to be hindered because of something that happened. Because somewhere along the line, trust was broken. And now there's a, there's a hard spot that no one is allowed into. Or something that I'm in currently, something that is feeding into my mind, is keeping me from really opening up. Or something that I'm doing because of shame. Maybe there's a, there's, I don't want to be vulnerable because then the real me will be exposed. Therein is a beauty of real covenant relationships. Because by the grace of God, he has taken all of that. And so we don't have any reason to hold anything against anyone because we have been shown grace by God. That relationship with the Lord first. And then I can offer that grace to other people because I know what God has done for me. If we were to open the books for everyone's life and show all the nasty, gritty, grimy details... No one would be, oh, well, man, I came out pretty good in that. Praise the Lord. So for real covenant relationships, real, I keep repeating it because I do with the kids, because it's a good thing to do. Real, sacrificial, loyal, devoted, family love relationships. We know that we need surrender to the Lord, and we know that these relationships are not one way. Instead, They are reciprocal. Let's take that one step further for point three. Real covenant relationships in the context of the body and other people, they are not self-help. It is not like a support group. Or I should say not merely a support group because there are times when God knows we need support. It doesn't end there. It's not a social club where we feel good. Or, you know what, I'm not feeling so good, but I spent some time with so-and-so, and and now I feel good, and that's the end of it. There is that. Please believe me, there is that. We should be encouraged and supported and upheld by our brothers and sisters in kingdom family relationships. But it doesn't stop there. Real covenant relationships, real covenant love, it's, it's almost like, I couldn't figure out a word, I couldn't think of, but the best word I could think of, it's like, it's like this apprenticeship. It's like a training ground. Because in the kingdom, there is this mission that we're on. To bring God's kingdom here. To establish it in this city. To establish it in this church. So that when those covenant relationships do establish that work, we can have real power to confront what would come. There is a goal 
a real tangible goal. And it is our work together in real relationships to prepare each other for that. Now, I think personally, as a body, this is where we need to improve the most. Because we've got fairly good relationships with each other. People aren't, you know, punching each other in the pews. It's a, it's a real story. I heard that. <laughs> People aren't, I don't feel unsafe here. <laughs> you know, we've got pretty good relationships, right? Like, we're doing good, right? It can sometimes be, like, hey, you know, we're, we're not perfect, but, you know, we're, we're moving along. That's good. That's all good and well. But we've got a mission, and we're not there yet. We're not there yet together, collectively and individually. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave, it's a familiar verse to many of us here. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is anyone here at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ yet? I know I'm not. And I mean this sincerely. I really do. This is greater than just helping us deal with our issues. Now, Please believe that it includes helping us deal with our issues. But there's more than that. It is our mission and our goal to be like Christ completely. We may not get there on this side of heaven. That is absolutely true. But why would Jesus say things like, be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect? Why would they tell us to, to build one another up until we are to the measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ? Because there's more to shoot for. We have not even come close to plumbing the depths of covenant relationship, of being like Christ. So there's more. There's a kingdom goal. We need to establish the kingdom of God in Chicago. That's going to involve confronting things that are dark. It's going to involve... Real oppression and persecution. We need devotion to God, and we need it in our relationships. Relationships in the body. We need people that will press us forward to get there. And that's where it starts to get a little tricky. Hebrews 10, 24 is a verse that I think we use a lot to to encourage one another, but let's let's think about it just a little bit in depth. Starting in verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love to covenant love and to good works. Now, the verb stir up, sometimes it says spur one another on, literally means to cut someone in a way in which they must respond. It's aggressive. It's like poking. It's like prodding. Stir one another up to good deeds and to love. They must respond. Now, when you have something that you want someone to do, there's a way you can ask them. You can kind of be like passive aggressive about it. They're really good at that um, at where I went to school, Stanford. You know, if you could just maybe when you get a chance. You know, if you wouldn't mind, like. That is not stirring one another up. And when you are, in this sense, stirred up, it doesn't always feel good. 
when someone confronts you, when someone calls you out, when someone identifies an area in which you need to, by the grace of God, again, all the stuff that we just talked about, the previous two steps, still apply. When someone in complete humility and surrender to the Lord receives something that is for me, they're open, and I have a real relationship with them, and I know that they're not saying this out of some kind of superiority. I know I've lived life with them, and I know them. And they come and they say, brother, you need to be better in this area because this is the call on your life, because this is where you're headed. This is where you're supposed to fit. This is where I see that you're supposed to fit in the kingdom of God in establishing that thing here. You need to be better in this. That doesn't feel good all the time. And that is where I think, you know, covenant love can be tested. Because it is, it is loving someone to tell them that. It's not always glad handing. It's not always high fives and feeling good, man. Sometimes it involves discipline. Discipline in the sense of training but also discipline in the sense of you are wrong and you need to do this differently. Now again, when things are difficult, when things are difficult, it helps to return to step one, to completely humble ourselves before the Lord and to surrender and have him craft in us wills and desires to do the things that are right. Not the things that are right according to who talked to me, but the things that are right according to the Lord. We need that desperately. But ultimately, we have the perfect example of this in Christ. That spurring on to good works, Christ did it frequently. And you know what? Yes, many of the people whom he did it to didn't respond in all that good a way. It doesn't mean that Christ was wrong or that he was altogether different in, the, in, in this manner. Just a note for those who may be called by God to challenge someone, to spur them on to good works and love. We have to be like Christ. We have to be like Christ. Being like Christ, very basically, being like Christ is just this one thing. I'm sorry. No, being like Christ, very basically, when it comes to challenging people in this manner of love, it means being completely full of grace and being completely full of the truth. That is not soft in any way. But it's not too hard. If you can imagine, I, one of the things um, that came out of all the things that I was going through when we were going through a few weeks ago was kind of, you can imagine this like, this graph. It's got four squares and it's a quadrant, right? And on one side is grace and on the other side is no grace. And on the top is truth and on the bottom is no truth. Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth completely full of grace and truth. He did not take one word away of what he was supposed to say to people, and he let them have it. But he did so in a way that was completely gracious, where people could not hold anything against him as to how he did it, which was probably why they were so mad. Because it's like, oh, it's, you know when someone tells you the truth in a way that you just can't ignore, and it kind of like, it does something to you. It's like, ah, man. Ah, Yes. Some people don't respond to that very well. Now, there is, of course, people who are full, full, completely full of truth, but have no grace. And those people are bullies. Those people are, to use a casual term, those people are kind of jerks. Because they've got all this truth. They've got all this stuff to say. But, man, they don't know how to say it. There's no understanding there. It's like, I'm going to tell you the truth and you're going to receive it 
and I don't care how you feel. And it's, 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 again, there is grace and truth. There is a way to communicate the truth in a way that is completely gracious and completely true because Christ did it. It's a hard example that takes the spirit, but it's true. You can do it. And then, of course, there's people who are completely gracious and not so full of truth. And they're, you know, they're enablers. You know, we see our brothers and sisters way off base. Or we see how they could be so much more. And maybe they need some discipline. Maybe they need some encouragement. They need a relationship. They need someone to walk them through it. They need someone to really challenge them. And they're just like, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing good, man. You're, you're all right. You know, yeah, it'd be great if you could do these other things. But you know what? Don't, don't even, they don't, they kind of dance around the issue. Because conflict is hard. Conflict is really hard. But it's possible. It's possible by the Spirit. You know, I think I need to say that again. It's possible by the Spirit. Grace and truth. In this manner, in really spurring one another on to works that are for them to do, to accomplish their real purpose in the kingdom, there's a way to communicate that, but it does take the spirit. This is something I need, for sure. I know we need it collectively. You know, Romans 15:2 says... Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, this isn't talking about anyone else. This isn't talking about, like, the people you live next to. Because Paul only uses the word, the verb, to build him up in this way. The verb, you know, Christian circles is edification. When well, you never say edification, like, anywhere else. Nobody says edification in regular, content, in regular language. <laughs> but Paul only uses that verb, edification, when he's talking about the church. Because... Because we are building something in others, we are building a house for the spirit to dwell. It's like a house. Each of us is like our own little house, our own little temple for the spirit of the Lord. For Jesus to sit and dwell. The verb edification has in it directly tied a spiritual progression When you really edify someone, it doesn't just mean you make them feel better. It means they are now a better house for the Lord to live in. It's a better place for God to dwell. And sometimes when you build a house, you've got to tear some things down. It takes effort. It takes a real covenant relationship. Now, a quick note, quick note, um, edification is sacrificial. So you may, we may think like, hey, like, Frankie could be so much better at what he's doing, so I'm going to tell him everything I think. <laughs> or, man, he really needs to improve in this area, so I am going to let him know in the most gracious and truthful way possible that this is what they should do. That's only half of it. Edification is sacrificial, which means when you really edify someone, you are getting out of your normal place and you are helping them to do it. You are giving of yourself in real relationship with them to make it happen. Otherwise, it's not edification. It's something else. It's like catharsis. Like, I feel better now that I said it. And that doesn't really help anyone but yourself. If we really edify someone, if we really obey what Romans 15.2 says, it means that we are getting in the boat with them and helping them row. Another note. If our meetings and our meals and our gatherings, our coffee dates, our whatever, if they don't do this, then they're not valuable. It doesn't mean that we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It doesn't mean that every time we get together, we are like monks and we put our hoods on and we pray and we can't have any fun. It doesn't mean that 
that we're ascetics, that we renounce all pleasure. It means that when we get together in real life, together, meetings together that are for the Lord, that this should be happening all the time, like all the time. Not even like, well, you know, we, we, we meet and then we have our other meetings where we just hang out and have fun and that's, it's nothing. No, it is related. Sometimes it is very spiritual to lift someone's burden. If they're going through a hard time to maybe to take care of them, to encourage them in a way that is maybe not traditional. Maybe you take them somewhere, you treat them to something, you make them dinner. But the goal all the while is that they be a better house for the Lord because that is what will eventually establish the kingdom here. Now, I think always when you talk about something like this, you have to mention, you know, good times, pleasure, all that stuff. If it doesn't hinder this progress at all, if it's not hindering this, if it's not hindering your ability to surrender in humility before the Lord, and it's not hindering you from being in covenant relationship with people, then go for it. There's no rule book that says these things are okay to have fun with and these things are not. Now that may make some people upset, but it's the truth. I promise you. If it doesn't take you away from the Lord, it doesn't make you more inclined to sin, it doesn't diminish your sensitivity to the things of the spirit, the things that are really real, then it is a valid and worthwhile pleasure that you should take advantage of as much as you can. But when we meet together with other brothers and sisters, that sharpening that takes place must be what happens. We need discernment. We need godly order. And we need thinking that is not like the world's. We don't think about the times we spend together like the world does. I think Frankie was telling me the story of um, he was trying to just like go to the bank and get back home really quickly. He didn't want to like talk to the guy at the register, but the guy found out he was a pastor, so he kept asking him questions. And so, you know, when you really don't want to talk to someone, but they're trying to talk to you, you're like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, the guy mentioned... Like, oh, well, do you drink? And Frankie was like, well, why would you ask me that question? I know he's like, well, because you said you watch the game with your friends sometimes. See, in that guy's mind, like, watching the game meant, like, drinking with your friends. When in the kingdom, watching the game might be like, I'm trying to get to know this person. I'm trying to build a relationship with them because I want them in this family because that is the answer to their problems. doesn't mean you can't enjoy the game. But there's a purpose there. There's a purpose to everything that we do. That is what I find so beautiful about this, the, the kingdom, about what Bob mentioned in his sermon. And then lastly, fourth point, real, devoted, family, sacrificial, covenant love is not easy. We have to think about this differently. We can't think about our relationships like the world thinks about it because we'll fail. Because it, it doesn't mix. You know, it might be to the world a huge error to call someone out or to challenge them on something that they're doing. People want to do what they want to do. I mean, that's, that's, I think, a direct result of sin in the world. They don't want to be called out. They don't want to be accountable. And sometimes, even the best of us, we bring that with us into our church relationships. It's like, well, I go to the church because I'm with these people because they're really loving and they're accepting and, they, and they're nice and we're all friends. But, whoa, would it change if this person who was really nice and loving, accepting, said, you need to be better in this area of your life because you can be. And I want to help you do it because I love you. We're going to do this together. 
That's different. That implies all kinds of work, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. We may not always be BFFs. But by the grace of God, we will be in the love, in a real relationship. Because while real covenant relationship is not easy by any stretch, it is glorious. It is beautiful. It is of lasting value. The fruit from them will remain. Let's say that again. The fruit from them will remain. That is evidence that it is of God, that it remains. That the change, that the things that take place, that the growth, that it's not a, you don't go back from it. By the grace of Almighty God, Frankie will not be the man he was 10 years ago, ever. Because it is of the Lord and it will remain. Not that he's perfect. But God has done something in his life. God has done something in so many people's lives here. And it's not going away. You're not going to lose it if we mess up. Because things that are of God, things that are truly of God, and of the kingdom, they last. Now, final notes. I'm almost done. When there are serious blocks to this, because as we all know, in real relationships, sometimes there are serious things that don't really, it's, it takes work. It takes more than I seem to know how to do. For serious blocks in this, we have to, as a habit, as, as like a way of breathing, go back to surrender to the Lord. Ultimate and abject humility before God and praying that he would mold our will and our desires and give us actions to do that will make him happy because he desires that in all of our relationships. That may mean that may mean all kinds of things. It could mean that we need to fast and we need to pray. It may mean that we need to eliminate from our lives things that are distractions to our relationship with the Lord. Now that seems that seems kind of like over here, and I was talking about something over here, but it's really the same. If you have blocks in a relationship with another person that you cannot overcome, it means we need to get back to the God. To God, we need to get back to the source, the spring where the power to make any change in a person's life comes from, or to make any change in relationships will come from. We have to go back. We have to pray and ask God to be at work in our lives, to will and to act according to his good pleasure. I mean, that's, that's work to do. For many of us, we're very task-oriented. Sometimes, like, what should I do? This isn't, this isn't working out. I need to do something. What should I do? Well, you can go back to God. You can pray. You can ask God to mold you and to shape you in complete humility. Now, again, not to belabor the point, but that doesn't have anything to do with the other person. The other person could be the most cantankerous, stubborn, prideful person in the world. And the way to establish the relationship is to go to the Lord. It doesn't mean to call them out necessarily. Because, again, this is for, this is for those real tough ones. Sometimes it's tough. It means to go back to the Lord. Because we know that God's desire is for the kingdom to be established. And if it's going to happen in said person, he's going to establish it. And very lastly, pride and self-consciousness is the chief block to real covenant relationship. It comes in a lot of different ways, and it looks a lot different. 
in a lot of different people's lives, but it blocks, it resists your covenant relationship with the Lord without which you have no power to have a relationship really with anyone else. Which is why step one is so vital. Humility and surrender to the Lord is so vital to relationship with anyone else. We don't have it. It'd be like trying to do something with one arm or no arms. My goodness. And this is my prayer. This is my prayer for myself. This is my prayer for our church. That we would, by the grace of God, have no pride in our midst. Have no self-consciousness in our midst. Now, pride isn't always, especially among church folks, pride is not always like, I'm so much better than everyone else. Or a man like, I'm awesome. You guys need to get with this. It's not always like that. It is in the world a lot, but it's not always like that among church folks. Church folks, a lot of times it's like, well, it's like a, it's like a spiritual pride. It's like um, a, des- a desire to, to look okay, to have it together, to not be broken, to not be the one that needs prayer, to not be the one that really needs this area, deliverance in this area of our life. Like, yeah, I'll come to church and I'll pray and I'll pray. I'll be on the floor with you praying for anyone. But, man, if people really knew what I needed, the prayer that I need, I don't want to go through that. I can't. I can't handle that. So that's, like, off the table. Man, there is freedom in Christ. Can we, can we really? I mean, we, we talk frequently about covenant and the kingdom and doing something here something that will change our community something that will change chicago can we do this if we really think so much about how we look or about how we're perceived even about what and i'm again i'm talking about in an unhealthy way i mean i do care about you know, the counsel of other people. I'm not talking about, hey, it doesn't matter what they say about me, I'm fine. I care about the counsel of other people. I care about what the Lord is showing to others, you guys, about what's happening in my life. Like we said, I need that. I need to be challenged. But man, if I'm not willing, because of my pride, to open up, I'm not willing to receive I'm not willing to humble myself in relationship with other people, with the Lord. Will I really change anything? I submit to you that I won't. Because I don't have the power to by myself. This is my prayer. And I pray now. Holy God, in the name of Jesus. And by the grace available to us through his sacrifice on the cross, I pray that in our church and in our relationships, Lord God, that you would destroy pride in every way. That you would destroy self-consciousness in every way. That there would be no room for ourselves in this kingdom. I pray for the grace, Lord God, for us to surrender to you. And that you would mold us. And that you would shape our will. That you would give us marching orders. And that we would gladly take them. And gladly carry them out with our whole hearts. With our whole hearts, Father God. Because there's nothing else greater. You are the pearl of great price. There is nothing else, holy God. We have nothing else. There is no other hope. There is no other alternative. There is no plan B. God, we need you. And we need relationships with the body that we are in. 
And so I pray, Lord, that you would remove every hindrance, every block to that in Jesus' mighty name. And you would overcome the enemy in this way, in our midst, Lord God. This is your work. You overcome the devil. And I pray, God, you would overcome pride and self-consciousness in all of our relationships, in our family relationships, among those who know the Lord and those who don't. I pray, God, that you would overcome any and all pride, root it out. I pray, God, that you would not let us rest until it is. Lord, if we really believe the things that we say, if we really believe that there is a kingdom at hand and we are to take part in establishing it here, I pray, God, that we would not rest until every hindrance is removed and that we would do whatever it takes, that we would sell all we have according to the parable, that we would sell it all, Lord God, that we would give it all to have you, to have what you desire. And that in this, Lord, we would be the most genuine people that anyone could find anywhere because you have taken everything. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name.